Chapter Eight of Hard Times by Charles Dickens. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Hard Times by Charles Dickens. Chapter Eight. Philosophical. They went back into the booth. Sleary shutting the door to keep intruders out. Bitzer, still holding the paralyzed culprit by the collar, stood in the ring, blinking at his old patron through the darkness of the twilight. "'Bitzer,' said Mr. Gradgrind, broken down and miserably submissive to him, "'have you a heart?' "'The circulation, sir,' returned Bitzer, smiling at the oddity of the question. "'Couldn't be carried on without one.' No man so acquainted with the facts established by Harvey relating to the circulation of the blood can doubt that I have a heart. Is it accessible, cried Mr. Gradgrind, to any compassionate influence? It is accessible to reason, sir, returned the excellent young man, and to nothing else. They stood looking at each other, Mr. Gradgrind's face as white as the pursuer's. What motive, even what motive in reason, can you have for preventing the escape of this wretched youth? said Mr. Gradgrind. And crushing his miserable father. See his sister here. Pity us. Sir, returned Bitzer, in a very businesslike and logical manner. Since you ask me what motive I have in reason, for taking young Mr. Tom back to Corktown, it is only reasonable to let you know— I have suspected young Mr. Tom of this bank robbery from the first. I had my eye upon him before that time, for I knew his ways. I have kept my observations to myself, but I have made them, and I have got ample proofs against him now, besides his running away, and besides his own confession, which I was just in time to overhear. I had the pleasure of watching your house yesterday morning, and following you here. I'm going to take young Mr. Tom back to Coketown in order to deliver him over to Mr. Bounderby. Sir, I have no doubt whatever that Mr. Bounderby will then promote me to young Mr. Tom's situation, and I wish to have his situation, sir, for it will be a rise to me and will do me good. If this is solely a question of self-interest with you, Mr. Gradgride began, I beg your pardon for interrupting you, sir, returned Bitzer but I am sure you know that the whole social system is a question of self-interest. What you must always appeal to is a person's self-interest. It's your only hold. We are so constituted. I was brought up in that catechism when I was very young, sir, as you are aware. What sum of money, said Mr. Gradgrind, will you set against your expected promotion? Thank you, sir returned Bitzer, for hinting at the proposal, but I will not set any sum against it. Knowing that your clear head would propose that alternative, I have gone over the calculations in my mind, and I find that to compound a felony, even on very high terms indeed, would not be as safe and good for me as my improved prospects in the bank. Bitzer, said Mr. Gradgrind, stretching out his hands as though he would have said, See how miserable I am? Bitzer, I have but one chance left to soften you. You were many years at my school. 
if in remembrance of the pains bestowed upon you there you can persuade yourself in any degree to disregard your present interest and release my son i entreat and pray you to give him the benefit of that remembrance i really wonder sir rejoined the old pupil in an argumentative manner to find you taking a position so untenable my schooling was paid for it was a bargain and when i came away the bargain ended it was a fundamental principle of the gradgrind philosophy that everything was to be paid for nobody was ever on any account to give anybody anything or render anybody help without purchase gratitude was to be abolished and the virtues springing from it were not to be every inch of the existence of mankind from birth to death was to be a bargain across a counter and if we didn't get to heaven that way it was not a politico-economical place and we had no business there i don't deny added bitzer that my schooling was cheap but that comes right sir i was made in the cheapest market and have to dispose of myself in the dearest he was a little troubled here by louisa and sissy crying pray don't do that said he it's no use doing that it only worries you seem to think that i have some animosity against young mr tom whereas i have none at all i am only going on the reasonable grounds i have mentioned to take him back to coketown if he was to resist i should set up the cry of stop thief but he won't resist you may depend upon it mr sleary who with his mouth open and his rolling eye as immovably jammed in his head as his fixed one had listened to these doctrines with profound attention here stepped forward squire you know perfectly well and your daughter knoweth perfectly well better than you because i said it to her that i didn't know what your son had done and that i didn't want to know i said it was better not though i only thought then it was some skylarking however this young man having made it known to be a robbery of a bank why that's a serious thing much too serious a thing for me to compound as this young man has very properly called it consequently squire you mustn't quarrel with me if i take this young man's side and say he's right and there's no help for it but i tell you what i'll do squire i'll drive your son and this young man over to the rail and prevent exposure here i can't consent to do more but i'll do that fresh lamentations from louisa and deeper affliction on mr gradgrind's part followed this desertion of them by their last friend but sissy glanced at him with great attention nor did she in her breast misunderstand him as they were all going out again he favoured her with one slight roll of his movable eye desiring her to linger behind as he locked the door he said excitedly the squire stood by you cecilia and i'll stand by the squire more than that this is a precious rascal and belongs to that bluttering cove that my people nearly pitched out o winder it'll be a dark night i've got a horse that'll do anything but speak i've got a pony that'll go fifteen mile an hour with childerth driving of him i've got a dog 
that'll keep a man to one place twenty and four hours. Get a word with the young squire. Tell him, when he seeth our horse begin to dance, not to be afraid of being spilt, but to look out for a pony gig coming up. Tell him, when he seeth that gig close by, to jump down, and it'll take him off at a rattling pace. If my dog lets this young man stir a peg on foot, I give him leave to go. And if my horse ever stirs from the spot where he begins a-dancing till the morning, I don't know him. Sharp's the word. The word was so sharp that in ten minutes Mr. Childers, sauntering about the market-place in a pair of slippers, had his cue, and Mr. Sleary's equipage was ready. It was a fine sight to behold the learned dog barking round it, and Mr. Sleary instructing him, with his one practicable eye, that Bitzer was the object of his particular attentions. Soon after dark they all three got in and started, the learned dog, a formidable creature, already pinning Bitzer with his eye, and sticking close to the wheel on his side, that he might be ready for him in the event of his showing the slightest disposition to alight. The other three sat up at the inn all night in great suspense. At eight o'clock in the morning Mr. Sleary and the dog reappeared, both in high spirits. "'All right, squire,' said Mr. Sleary. "'Your son may be aboard a ship by this time.' Childers took him off an hour and a half after we left there last night. The horse danced the polka till he was deadbeat. He would have waltzed if he hadn't been in harness. And then I gave him the word, and he went to sleep comfortable. When that precious young rascal said he'd go forward afoot, the dog hung on to his neck handkerchief with all four legs in the air and pulled him down and rolled him over. Though he come back into the drag, and there he sat, till he turned the horse's head at half-past six this morning. Mr. Gradgrind overwhelmed him with thanks, of course, and hinted as delicately as he could at a handsome remuneration in money. I don't want money myself, squire, but Childers is a family man, and if you was to, like, offer him a five-pound note, it mightn't be unacceptable. Likewise, if you was to stand a collar for the dog, or a set of bells for the horse, I should be very glad to take em. Brandy and water I always take. If you wouldn't think it going too far, squire, to make a little spread for the company at about three and six ahead, not reckoning loose, it would make em happy. All these little tokens of his gratitude Mr. Gradgrind very willingly undertook to render though he thought them far too slight, he said, for such a service. Very well, squire. Then if you'll only give a horse-riding, a bespeak, whenever you can, you'll more than balance the account. Now, squire, if your daughter will excuse me, I should like one parting word with you. Louisa and Sissy withdrew to an adjoining room. Mr. Sleary, stirring and drinking his brandy and water as he stood, went on. "'Squire, you don't need to be told that dogs is wonderful animals.' "'Their instinct,' said Mr. Gradgrind, "'is surprising.' "'Whatever you call it, and I'm blessed if I know what to call it.' 
said Sleary. "'It is astonishing, the way in which a dog'll find you. The distance he'll come.' "'His scent,' said Mr. Gradgrind, "'being so fine.' "'I'm blessed if I know what to call it,' repeated Sleary, shaking his head. "'But I have had dogs find me, squire, in a way that made me think whether that dog hadn't gone to another dog and said, "'You don't happen to know a person of the name of Sleary, do you? "'Person of the name of Sleary in the horse-riding way? "'Stout man, game eye? "'And whether that dog mightn't have said, "'Well, I can't say I know him myself, "'but I know a dog that I think would be likely to be acquainted with him.' And whether that dog mightn't have thought it over and said, Fleary, Fleary, oh, yes, to be sure. A friend of mine mentioned him to me at one time. I can get you his address directly. In consequence of my being afore the public, and going about so much, you see, there must be a number of dogs acquainted with me, squire, that I don't know. Mr. Gradgrind seemed to be quite confounded by this speculation. "'Anyway,' said Sleary, after putting his lips to his brandy and water, "'it's fourteen months ago, squire, since we was at Chester. We was getting up our children in the wood one morning, when there comes into our ring by the stage door a dog. He had travelled a long way. He was in a very bad condition. He was lame and pretty well blind. He went round to our children one after another, as if he was a-seeking for a child he knowed. And then he come to me, and throwed hisself up behind, and stood on his two forelegs, weak as he was, and then he wagged his tail and died. Squire, that dog was Merrylegs. Sissy's father's dog? Cecilia's father's old dog. Now, squire, I can take my oath from my knowledge of that dog that that man was dead and buried afore that dog come back to me. Josephine and Childers and me talked it over a long time, whether I should write or not, but we agreed, no, there's nothing comfortable to tell. Why unsettle her mind and make her unhappy? Though whether her father basely deserted her, or whether he broke his own heart alone rather than pull her down along with him, never will be known now, squire, till, no, not till we know how the dogs findeth us out. She keeps the bottle that he sent her for to this hour, and she will believe in his affection to the last moment of her life, said Mr. Gradgrind. It seems to present two things to a person, don't it, squire? said Mr. Sleary, musing as he looked down into the depths of his brandy and water. One, that there is a love in the world, not all self-interest after all, but something very different t'other that it bears a way of its own of calculating or not calculating. With somehow or another, is at least as hard to give a name to as the ways of the dogs is. Mr. Gradgrind looked out of window and made no reply. Mr. Sleary emptied his glass and recalled the ladies. Cecilia, my dear, kiss me and good-bye. Miss Squire, 
to see you treating of her like a sister, and a sister that you trust and honor with all your heart and more, is a very pretty sight to me. I hope your brother may live to be better deserving of you, and a better comfort to you. Squire, shake hands, first and last. Don't be cross with us, poor vagabonds. People must be amused. They can't be always a-learning, nor yet they can't be always a-working, and ain't made for it. You must have us, squire. Do the wise thing, and the kind thing, too, and make the best of us, not the worst. And I never thought before, said Mr. Sleary, putting his head in at the door again to say it, that I was too much of a cackler. End of chapter 8